I am not quite sure of the proper phrasing, so I'll just say, happy Feast of Pentecost. <laughs> um, how many of you have played the game Taboo? Okay, a fair number. For those of you who have not, it's a, it's a somewhat simple game. You get cards, and at the top of the card is a word. And you're trying to get your teammates to say that word. But underneath it is a list of four or five words that you cannot say. These are clues that would lead them to say that word. You can't say them, you get buzzed, which is super annoying, if you say them. So if you were playing a game of taboo, and somebody gave you a card, and at the top of the card it said, Pentecost, and you couldn't say 50 days, Holy Spirit, fire, tongues, or church. Could you do it? I'm not so sure I could, at least not until the, the little timer ran out. And I would encourage you, feel free to come approach me later with your best effort, but for, I, I encourage you not to spend the rest of this time thinking about that, <laughs> if you can help it. It's a beautiful and strange day that we celebrate today. It's got its own special color with words and images that are particular and peculiar. Each big holiday has its own festivities. Each has its own focal point of belief, a belief that if we don't stake our lives on it, we're at a bit of an impasse. At Christmas, we stake our lives on God incarnate in the person of Jesus, fully God and fully man. At Easter, we stake our lives on the crucified and resurrected Jesus. And at Pentecost, we stake our lives that God has indeed given us his spirit, that he himself, the Holy Spirit, presently dwells within his people. In Christmas plays, we're invited to connect with surprised shepherds as the angelic choir overwhelms. The scrappy beauty of the story and the costumes helps our eyes to see the scrappy beauty God has in our own lives. Through Palm Sunday enactments and readings, we connect our double-heartedness with the fickleness of the shouting crowd as we call out their words, the lovely and the horrible alike. In this Pentecost, in our passage from Acts, we connect with those who were at the temple courts when God poured out his spirit. The Holy Spirit draws us as he did them into his strangeness and beauty, and we too are enabled by him to experience and participate in the life of the spirit. So let's together look at these different groups of people who are gathered that day and see what God might reveal to us. We'll consider them not by their many places of origin, but by their initial responses. Those who heard the sounds in their own languages, heard the words of God proclaimed to them in their native tongue, and they asked questions, and those who mocked. And we're going to start with the group last introduced. We're going to start with the mockers, as it were. Um, I have a special affection for this group. <laughs> uh, I may become 
from a family of mockers <laughs> and tend to identify more <laughs> in this category often. Um, it says in our passages, they made fun of those speaking in different languages and said they've had too much wine. And I know it's all too easy to judge these people who are making fun. We just want to have a sincere moment, and here they are mucking it up with their unbelief and meanness. Um, and to be fair, nothing here says they were being mean. I think we might read that into it. Maybe they were, but let me ask you, has anyone in your life ever behaved strangely, said something a little too loud or a little too um, gesticulated wildly at some point or took a stumble and either you or somebody around you said, are you drunk? What are you smoking? <laughs> and one of my favorite lines from the sitcom Parks and Rec is when somebody is reacting, very exaggerated, they're shouting at someone on the phone. You know, it's kind of that uh, exaggerated like condemnation if they don't come along with something. And one of the characters, Donna, very calmly asks them, is there a medication that you maybe lead, need a lot of and have taken none of, or maybe too much of? <laughs> to which the character Craig replies, I have a medical condition, all right. It's called caring too much, and it's incurable. Also, I have eczema. <laughs> like, she mocked him in this moment, but what was at the heart of it? It was an attempt to diffuse an extraordinary situation with humor. What has happened here in our passage is loud and strange and threatens to derail the normalcy of the day. The joke about drunkenness both acknowledges that this is not normal and attempts to bring the situation back into the realm of the normal. It's a grounding move and a decent burn. <laughs> These people were deeply uncomfortable in that moment. And they were not only trying to get themselves back to comfort, but also trying to ground the people around them. I get it. I've done it, both in moments that were appropriate and where that was helpful, and in ones that were definitely not. But it's easy to miss here. It's easy to miss that when God fulfills his promises, when God's spirit is poured out in new ways, it will not be in your comfort zone. One of Church of the Cross's values is consolation, the comfort of God. It is deeply good to be a people formed by God's comfort and a people who extend it to others. But God's comfort does not always arrive to our ears like elevator music or whatever it is they play in spas. Sometimes it arrives like the sound of a violent wind, a cacophony of voices and languages. Jesus was Israel's ultimate consolation. He brought God's comfort. And yet we know this consolation also brought great discomfort into the lives of those who followed him, upended businesses and households, upended people's lives and core beliefs. Don't confuse consolation with creature comfort. If all you want is for things to be predictable and comfortable, you'll miss the Holy Spirit. And I love the Apostle Peter's response. Um, later, beyond our passage, he stands up and addresses it directly. These people are not drunk. In a sense, he's saying, there's no diffusing this. It's strange. It is uncomfortable. Come in closer and see how shocking it is. Just wait till I tell you about Jesus. 
what God did at the first Pentecost and what God is doing today in the world cannot be diffused. If you find yourself reflexively seeking comfort, I invite you today to challenge that reflex and let what God is doing make you uncomfortable. Set aside the pleasantries or politeness or whatever it is that might keep you from hearing the wonders of God spoken directly to you and listen afresh. This kind of discomfort will not kill you. It will save you. As we turn to look at the others in the crowd, we see a different response. Rather than seeking equilibrium at the strange sight and sound before them, there are some in the crowd who choose to take it all in. They hear what is being said without dismissing. They draw near to the scene that's being made, and they lean in and hear the wonders of God in their own language. How often had these people only heard the wonders of God in only Hebrew or Aramaic? They were devout enough to accept this, but now in Jerusalem, no less. They hear their own native language, strangers speaking in their heart language. The wonders of God became that much more wonderful. The nearness of God became that much more near. You are likely here today because the wonders of God were spoken in your language. Whether it is a particular tongue like Spanish or a language that had a particular relevance to your life and experience. You heard the gospel in teenager when you were a teenager. You heard the gospel in your work hard, party hard lifestyle. You heard the gospel in your second generation immigrant experience. The wonders of God were spoken in your language intimately and powerfully. And then, like the listening crowd, you were caught off guard and asked in some form or fashion, what does this mean? I love this question. It's a good question. I think it should replace the why in many instances. It's a question worth keeping at the forefront of our minds. What does this mean? It's, the question is humble. It doesn't sit in judgment. The question is sober. It takes in the information and makes no assumptions. It maybe makes one assumption, and asking the question assumes the same thing of Richard Dreyfus and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. This means something. <laughs> asking what does this mean allows for unexpected answers. In Scripture, we see this all the time. Joseph holds on to his dreams with a what does this mean Mary holds on to what Gabriel tells her and what Simeon proclaims. To treasure something in your heart is to hold on to it in a what-does-this-mean kind of way. But it's also happening around us, here and now. Part of the beauty of living as the community we're called to be is that we get to hold those what-does-this-mean moments with each other and share together as revelation comes. When I was on staff with InterVarsity at UT, one of the leaders in the fellowship had a roommate named Judy who didn't know Jesus. At a roommate's invitation, Judy started attending a Bible study and then eventually came out to one of our events where the gospel was presented and everyone was given an opportunity to respond. We rejoiced when Judy said yes, she wanted to start following Jesus. 
But even then, Judy had this nagging feeling, this confusion. She felt like she knew enough to say, yes, I will follow. But as she would put it, the idea of being in a relationship with Jesus was confounding. So in that moment, she says, yes. She says a kind of a, I mean, you know I love improv, so I'm going to say yes and is a big improv theme. She says, yes and. She says, yes and, I don't understand this. Yes and, what does this mean? being in a relationship with Jesus. And she went to bed that night, that very night, question unanswered. And in the night, she had a dream, the likes of which she had not had before and, to my knowledge, has not had since. It was incredibly vivid. In her dream, she went on a journey with Jesus. (laughs) They walked together. They traveled in a boat. Different things happened around them, and they looked at and talked about and responded to them together. Something that was hard to explain, hard for her to understand, Jesus had her experience. Jesus helped her to know firsthand. And baptizing Judy Shea was a privilege of a lifetime. The good questions of what does this mean A good question doesn't cause God to move, but it's often part of how you participate in the movement of God. What are you hearing today that strikes your ear as strange or peculiar or pertinent? Be drawn in and ask the Lord of the Pentecost, what does this mean? So how might we celebrate this day? In years past, Here at Church of the Cross, you have had potlucks, bringing dishes that represent your roots in some way, literally feasting on the fact that God has poured out his spirit on men and women throughout the world, creating around the world and here in Austin, truly what our nation's coins can only say aspirationally, out of many, one. This year, however, you get the chance to celebrate in another way befitting the occasion, baptisms. Our passage today is the beginning of what happened at Pentecost. It continued as Peter explained what meaning this had for those present. What it means that Jesus is the crucified and resurrected Messiah. And when the people were cut to the heart, they asked, what do we do? The apostle Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God would call. We not only gather today as those who have received the Holy Spirit, but we follow in the apostles' footsteps and celebrate together that the promise is for us, and for our children, and for all who are far off. That particular Pentecost saw 3,000 baptized, and I can say that our five baptismal candidates today are worthy of the same celebration, the same amazement, and the same gratitude and reception. The marvel is not in the number, but in the power of God to set apart, to save, to make sons and daughters, to pour out his spirit. And we rejoice because these names and lives are known to us 
They are lived before us and alongside us. They are Maddie and Luke and Mila and Arabelle and Hannah. Thanks be to the God of Pentecost. As we continue this morning with our liturgy and our festivities, as we continue with baptisms and communion and worship, may we do so with ears to listen afresh, with curiosity that draws us near, and with our wills eager to participate in the Spirit's movement. We do all this trusting that the Lord of the Pentecost has poured out his Spirit, that he is present to us now in power and in joy, in our person and in our community. And all God's people said,